soup spoons, I can't fucking bear most soup spoons. <laughs> They're rubbish. Sometimes the greatest joy in doing this podcast is oddly not the food, delicious as it so often is. It's when my clunky theory that food conversations are some of the best conversations to have gets proved right. And this episode features one of my favorite food conversations of all time. Tim Hayward is a writer, journalist, broadcaster, bakery owner, and self-confessed food nerd of the very highest order. A man who can, will, and often does spend a whole week thinking about nothing but the differences between mayonnaise and salad cream, and then telling us all why those differences are so important. We joined him at home in Cambridge earlier this year to talk about egg salad, Adelian orthodoxy, and stamping on sommelier's heads. Pull up a chair. We ask you to cook or make something that is the meal or the food that kind of means the most to you. So what are we having? Uh, egg mayonnaise sandwich. Oh, you, don't, <laughs> you don't know how happy it makes me. <laughs> To hear that. So we're very grateful, obviously, that when anyone wants to be a guest on this thing, but mostly we talk to chefs, sometimes yeah. restaurant owners and stuff mm. like that. And, you know, chefs, they can't help themselves. Mm. You know, so uh, Santiago Lastra, who we talked to a few weeks ago, amazing mm. chef. But yeah, that was an hour and a half conversation and he made three canapes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was incredible to watch. It was incredible to eat. But it gladdens my heart that what you want to make is a, is a, is a sandwich. So why are you going to make us an egg mayonnaise sandwich? Well, oh, God, it's an, it's an incredibly long story. I mean, partly partly because because I sort of work in radio and I make documentaries and I write about food and stuff. I know that if you're any good, you can talk for hours and hours and hours about a biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the more you, you do... pitch that, I would imagine. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Tim Hayward talks for hours, hours about, about biscuits. biscuits. No, but it's like... It's like being, if you're a jazz musician, you know, you, you, you want to know the standards inside out and then you want to go into a room with a bunch of reasonably appreciative people nodding yeah. and just go off on it for like hours and hours and hours. And I love that because I think food's got so many emotional sort of resonances anyway. I've, I, I don't plug, by the way, but this is entirely coincidentally. My last book um, was about, I suppose I've done all sorts of recipe books and I've written about social history and things like that. And I... I met, I met a friend, she's, she's Danish, and she does a lot of good baking, and she's on telly over there, and she's, you know, she's terribly clever in her area. And we got absolutely pissed one night at a food festival. And we were talking about bread, because yeah. I'd recently got the bakery going, and our sourdough was going really well, and right. everything's very artisanal and very wonderful. And she said, oh, God, more fucking Chad bread. What, what on earth is Chad bread? Yeah. And she says, well, you know, okay, everywhere, all over the world, we've got all these... All over the world, we've got these incredible artisanal bakers taking off and doing their thing, and they're all, they all look exactly the same. Yeah. They've all got a beard, they've all got an earring, they've all got some tattoos, and they're all making the same bloody bread. Yeah. They're all making the big sourdough miche, and it's delicious, and it is artisanal bread. But weirdly, it's what we imagine we want our artisanal bread to look like. Yeah. Because actually, it kind of isn't. As she said, you know, in my country, we've got a tradition of women doing yeast-based yeast doughs and breads that is phenomenal and is right. forgotten. Chad, by the way, is Chad Robertson, who started Tartine in San Francisco. Okay, Who's yeah, the guy yeah. so with the original like tattoos. Yeah, exactly. Bro bread. Precisely that. So I thought this was great. And you, you, when you write books, there's always a little, a little moment you get where you think, God, that's a really good idea. That'll do. And nine times out of ten, it's rubbish. It never gets yeah. past the pitch. <laughs> but very often, it's the thing where you think, everybody thinks, blah. Yeah. 
It doesn't even matter if I think the opposite. It's, is there an interesting argument that because you think, blur, that isn't necessarily so? And I realised that, I mean, we in the UK, what distinguishes our bread is we had the Industrial Revolution before anybody else. Right. We moved all the people out of the country where they made their own bread. We moved them into the towns and we started needing to make bread for them. We'd made white bread high status. The biggest skill in bread making is the shaping. So why don't we make a loaf that's made in a tin? Then we don't have to have so many shapers. In fact, then we can have a machine that extrudes it and we can make white bread for everybody that's tremendous. And that's bizarre, but that's how we end up with the white sliced loaf being our standard here, the tin-shaped loaf. And it's no, weird, it's to, so full disclosure, I have read Loaf Story. You can mention it out loud, that's fine. <laughs> uh, um, I read it <laughs> slightly you. hurriedly over the last couple of days. Good man. On a Kindle, sorry. But uh, the, I was kind of fascinated by the story of, well, the fact that essentially that, that product, that homogenized mm. sliced tin loaf, that we've, like most people listening to this, certainly me, like when this one grew up on, whether they liked yeah, it or not. That's it. Is that's kind of radiated out to the rest of the world. Yeah. So that what was what is now considered not a status item, because mm. we'd all like to have our bro bread, or at least pretend that we're baking and buying and eating bro bread yeah. while we're quietly having like Mother's Pride in front yeah. of the telly. But now, you know, in, even in places with really strong baking cultures that didn't have that, it's still high status in a lot of places mm. to have like homogenized industrial yes. white sliced bread. Yes, exactly that. It is a really posh thing to have in a lot of places. But like it or not, pretty much still, no matter what your class, no matter what your background, it's extremely unlikely you were brought up on the bro bread that we're all now acknowledging as yeah. our birthright. Actually, we were all brought up on, on Mother's Pride and slices yeah. and French stick. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the impossibly glamorous <laughs> French-looking English white loaf. It's so, it's so weird. And all of those, and the minute... The second thing you do after you have an idea for a book is you start trying it out on your mates. Right. And when everyone's a little bit pissed and you say, like, you know, what's the, what's the weirdest thing anybody used to eat when they were kids? And I remember the one that really triggered it for me was talking to a, uh, one of our waitresses was from New Zealand. And she'd heard I was talking about bread at a table with some mates. And she said, have you heard about fairy sandwiches? Oh, yeah, 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 I know this. That's the, so let me see go, if I, go, what I yeah. think a fairy sandwich is what you think is a fairy sandwich. So white slice. Yeah. Marge. Yeah. And then you basically crunch that into a plate of like hundreds and thousands. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's not even a fucking sandwich, right? No, it's only one not. slice. Well, no, no, you can, do, you can do two slices, and then the colour leaches in as it sits on the table. So you get this sort of like yeah, yeah. Uh, stained sort of rainbow stained bread. Stained rainbow bread, and, and she was like nearly in tears. This girl talking about this utter rubbish. Jeez, oh, this is fantastic. Right. After that, for months, I was wandering around just like collecting people's odd bread. Story. What is the crappiest thing you ate in your youth? <laughs> My brother. Had that had a weird aversion that some people have, particularly it seemed to be like that boys had to vegetables. Mm. So he was a proper kind of vegetable avoider mm. on growing up, and uh, a squirreler, a stasher. Mm. He would take the foods he really wanted to eat yeah. and then like sort of secrete them about the house. Right? But his left to his own devices, a whole loaf of mother's pride, mm -hmm. tear all the crusts off. And then squeeze the air out of each individual yeah. slice until he got a kind of gobstopper-sized dough pellet. Yeah. And then he just popped that in his mouth in front of the telly yeah. and just sort of let it dissolve. So he did like a whole life, a whole loaf, pellet by pellet. It's like you know, ground bait. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, even the sort of yeah, exactly. You know, even the fisherman would have been kind of going, "No, you got no. more flavour in that, mate." The trout are never going to touch it. But that that was what made him happy. Yeah. It's like a slow-release carbohydrate pill. Yes. Superb stuff. It really is. Absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely mad. So, given all of this talk about bread, yeah. 
is that what bread is going to be in this egg mayonnaise sandwich? Uh, I've actually just picked up a sourdough from our bakery because it's nice. Right. Actually, the sourdough is interesting because I'm kind of, we, we spent a long time working on it. it. It is the answer to the question, what would an English sourdough be like? Right. It's actually not massively sour. It's sour enough that it's a crowd pleaser. It's got enough crust, but I don't feel the passionate urge to have pointy ears on the bread that right. tear your soft palate out, otherwise it's not good enough. You know, it's cooked to a certain degree of brownness, but we stop it before it goes into the carbonised territory. Right, and also presumably, so a lot of people's complaint about sourdough, mine included, is that actually the really sour sourdough, the super chewy mm. crust, which I enjoy mm. in the right circumstances, you know, you know, nice restaurant, sort of whipped butter, yeah. fine flakes of salt, all that sort of thing. For sandwich purposes, this is not... It's not good. No. It's too hard to eat. Mm -hmm. Yes. It doesn't support your filling no. to the degree that mm -hmm. you would like. That's right. Um, and, I mean, even from preparation point of view, it's a bastard mm -hmm. to even cut it in half, yes. let alone, like, give it to Exactly anybody. that. Yeah. Okay. So, so English sourdough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it tastes faintly of, like, Mother's Pride. One of <laughs> <laughs> I, perhaps a sun-blessed. Yeah. Yeah, pretty course. much. But, yeah, no, yeah. No, but there's, enough, there's enough of the white tin, yeah. the cottage loaf, and that kind of stuff in it, that it's, that it's still got that... Resonance. Cambridge is a funny place. It's like it's stuck in the 1950s anyway. And I think there's quite a lot of people who sort of never graduated to the, the, to the, the proper packet breads. Right. They, they, I'm not quite sure what a ciabatta is. Who <laughs> <laughs> have one of these pizzas? Yeah. yeah. And you certainly don't apostrophise panini. Absolutely not. <laughs> not, in this, not in this town. Not in this town. There's an army of people going around we correcting first, your grammar. We were the first place to have a Waitrose with a 10, uh, ten items or fewer aisle. Finally, Perfect. finally, and then it spread back out because there were enough <laughs> literate people in the rest of the country. But we had the first. <laughs> so, shall we? Yeah, shall we absolutely. get stuck in? Yeah. I'm more than happy to help, by the way. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. assuming it's not a hugely complex, um, but. No, not remotely. Um, you know, a pan. Um, you can start off with the, uh, with the water hot. Um, I keep it insanely hot here because it's. I don't have one of those sort of boiler taps. Yeah. But once it gets going, it's hot enough to take some considerable time off the cooking. And um, so the boil, the eggs will go into already boiling water. You won't oh. be Elizabeth Daviding from cold. Whatever way you do it, if you do it enough times, you'll get it to a stage where it's repeatable. Um, a couple of books ago, I got into a real thing about, about how to, to hard boil an egg and got really fussy about it. And of course it's, it's absolutely about what the setting temperature of the yolk is, which is 60, 64.3, I think. Of course. Yeah. I, you, I yeah. was, you took so, the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. So <laughs> you can do it any one of a dozen ways, including putting it in some water that you're keeping at 64.3, and you can hold it there for, for as long as you long like. Period of time. No, no, indefinitely, basically. Oh, it will remain yeah, perfectly It's not going to overcook. That's how sous vide would work. Right. Or you can chuck it in the kettle, as my nan used to do. But because she always had the same size eggs from her chicken and whatever it might be, she'd know it would be the two cups of tea to make it, or whatever, you know, that kind of, yeah. that kind of thing. But um, there is a, there's a fantastic app. I don't know if it's still out there called Eggmaster, where you, uh, you, you, you take the temperature of the egg, so you keep it at room temperature, so you know what the egg temperature is going to be. And then you measure it on your iPhone screen, the okay. size of the egg. Right. And then you choose from a... Pantone palettes kind of thing, how, how brown or white or whatever you want the it to be, is. yeah. And then it gives you exactly the time and times it. Okay. Which is lovely. But I'm not going to use that because this one, um, that I, this method I use is just the one that I've 
kind of got with, really. Was that was. little chime there? Is that your sage commercial countertop oven coming on? <laughs> yes, that's it. So what it's is this thing? This is called, unbelievably, a control freak in the UK. Is it? Yeah, oh, it's, um, it's lovely. So it comes with a flight case, and it's, a, it's basically it's a single ring hob. Okay, uh, and induction an hob. induction hob. Yeah, but the difference is, if I lift the pan up just for a sec, see that thing in the middle? Yeah. That's a contact thermometer. Okay. So that tells you exactly what the temperature of the pan is at any given time. The pan, the, but not necessarily the contents. Well, the contents will be the same after a few seconds, but okay. if you want the contents, and there's a thing in here which you plug in. It comes with its own thermometer. It's got its own thermometer probe that goes in there. Okay, so, so anyone that's listening to this, anyone that, if you haven't seen Tim's Instagram, <laughs> I advise you to get onto Tim's Instagram because it is one of the sort of most gadget-obsessed things I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. It's no you obsession. are constantly... Do, is, this part of the, is this part of the job? Do people just send you mad stuff no, to see no, what you think of it? I don't, do you I actually don't, have to buy it? I don't take freebies. I, don't, I never have. Okay. Um, I, did, I did a book uh, a while back called uh, The Modern Kitchen because I got suddenly obsessed with the idea of, you know, these tools were designed by somebody. Right. And actually the ones that have survived from the 1950s that we all look at and go, God, my mum had one of those. Yeah. That's kind of like a gigantic and, you know, 50-year-old focus group. The yeah. reason the wire whisk is still working the way it is. Because someone did an amazing yeah, job a, a once. Prestige, made yeah, a fantastic yeah, yeah. one. Yeah. So I, I just got obsessed with that and started, I just did a book about Very similar tonality, weirdly, to Love Story, because it's just that, you know, that stuff that we've turned our backs on because it seems in some way naff. It, it, you're an ad man, it's generation theory. You know, yeah, I, okay. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm of the generation that rejected everything out of hand that our parents did. I'm supposed to like handmade pasta. And that kind of makes me go, yeah, that's great. Mm. But the Italians don't get that shit. Yeah. And the pasta roller had not been for Terrence, well, it was Terrence Comran. Terrence Comran's the first guy to bring it over. Yeah. Oh my God, isn't that incredible? So, and that, it doesn't matter whether I cook with it or without it, garlic press or no garlic press. Right. The answer is actually, it's a really good story. And you need to know, you know, you need to know it was there. So our water's up to the boil. Water's up to the boil. Um, just usually, so they don't chip on them with a slotted spoon, but you, this is, this is a really bizarre gadget, this thing. Okay. I can't even remember the name of the company. There's a company in America. It's like a sieve spoon, right? No, no, this is, it's the spoon is the thing. This is a $50 spoon. Okay. Right? The, 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 I couldn't get the actual spoon. I could only get the one with the holes in which right. is a $60 spoon. <laughs> and there was all this bullshit about what a fantastic spoon it is. I don't, and I'm looking at the picture, I'm going, it can't be that good. I mean, forgive I me, it doesn't that look that remarkable to me. No, and in fact, a much better, when you finally got it, a much better version of the spoon is this one, which you can nick from any college or school kitchen. Right, so this, is, a, this is what I would call like a... Uh, it's uh, not a serving spoon, it's a bigger than regular, proper dessert spoon. Ah, it's okay. what you, that's what you want. You could put, nestle a whole it, egg take it in, in your thing. hand. You could put an egg in it, but you could also, that is what you want for crumble and custard. Right. That's right, isn't it? I for mean, the egg, consumption of. For consu consumption thereof, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, you've got a beard like me, which is nice, but you will know all the beard problems, right? I'd many. Yeah. Right. So, soup spoons, I can't fucking bear most soup spoons. <laughs> they're rubbish. Because they're designed for so much of the poncery of how you deal the, with the, uh, the scoop loading away up. from yeah. the away and from And you get chest. it up to your mouth in your white shirt, and you're trying to get it in over your moustache and your beard, and it's yeah. going everywhere. It's rubbish. So I, I, 
I don't steal anything in my life. I'm an honest guy, honestly, as honest as the day is long, but your spoons are not safe. Right. If, if you if find you, the right one for the right job. Right in the back pocket. Fair yeah. enough. That's it. Well, you will not be, you would not be popular. We were talking to Simon Rogan a few months ago. Oh, God. And uh, yeah. he, has ma he has knives, uh, uh, table knives, yeah. handmade, obviously, Hand -settled, for, yes. long, for long clean. Yeah. Uh, and they cost uh, 50 quid each. Yeah. Um, and he's had to train the staff in the kind of art of A, spotting and then discreetly deterring the knife <laughs> thieves. So they, he, they now have a routine where they, they know to go to a certain customer in a certain tone at a certain point in the evening and say, let's just put the knife back on the table and we'll say no more about it. <laughs> in a way that doesn't upset them. That's, yeah, that's, that's very much what they did at uh, St. John over the ashtrays. They used to Oh, and didn't they used to steal those Q-shaped ashtrays from... Um, yeah. uh, Quaglinas. Quaglinas. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. And then, and then they just started making more of them, yep. and 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 just and sort of discreetly, them. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they started selling them in the Conran shop, and it all went it all went dreadful from there onwards. So we're putting four eggs. This in is for there? two of us, and okay. enough left over for the crew. So we should be okay. So we should be fine. So they go in, and you set the timer for twelve minutes. Yep. Um, which is just useful. So I would good. imagine that's a fairly hard boil. Uh, no, actually, twelve minutes. Weirdly, is not hard. So. Some of, the, some of the ways you do it, you get the water to the boil, you put the egg in and you leave the egg in there. Yeah. And the descending temperature graph means that by the time it's cooked properly on the outside, it'll be at a certain setting on the inside and it won't get any worse. So I once tried, to the, to the hilarity of the rest mm. of my household, I, I got convinced that Elizabeth David's method was mm -hmm. the one, mm. which is that you bring it up to the boil, yeah. Instantly turn the heat yeah. off and then leave it for sort of precisely five minutes. Yeah. I can't, I'm mm -hmm. misquoting yeah. it probably, and that would give, always give you the kind of perfect boil, yeah. which was a total cobbler's. Yep. And then, and I was derided for the fact that there's just a much, much easier way to do it. And yeah. like, what, what are you playing at? Yeah. So no, for me, it's just that I, I just I put them in for twelve minutes. At the end of twelve minutes, we'll put them under cold water immediately, right. which will stop them dead. Right. And we leave them running under the cold water, so the temperature inside has dropped below its peak. So you know you've killed the killer cooking at that point. It should be, and this is a bit like all the TV chefs say never go out on a fishing boat. Yeah, because you never this get any fish. Of, yeah, this is going to be one of those, this is going to be the worst egg I've ever cooked. <laughs> totally. Well, look, A, because it's a podcast, no one can see. Yeah. And you can just lie. Yeah, and, and, and I'll lie as well. But I, I aim for a very, very, very slightly runny centre. Yeah, I don't like a kind of super hard-boiled egg. That, and I wouldn't for, yeah. not that I make egg mayo from scratch very often, but yeah, I wouldn't want to start with a rock-hard egg. No. Just personally. No. And it, it keeps everything else about right, which is nice. So the, the, I'm going to leave the white in... A lot of people like to mash it up really, really finely with a mm. fork. I just like to break it up with a spoon so you get big chunks of chunks white. Chunks of white. And if you want that, you don't want the white to be too rubbery. So you'll have heard this a thousand times from various, you know, drunken, embittered mm. people in the, in the restaurant business that... Uh, you know, about food criticism in general, mm. that, um, you know, you, you, you've never been in battle, essentially, mm -hmm. so you haven't mm. got any kind of right to speak about it. You have. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. really marks you out. I can only think maybe Marino Lachlan yeah, she, used to work in the restaurant business. Yeah. And she had a restaurant of her own for a while. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and do you think that makes a real difference? Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Because you know that it's not 
most of the faults that are easy to pick up, like you know the the, the, the stumbling waiter's performance, the uh, slightly cold food, or you know, the ingredients being a bit off, or something like that. You yeah. know, there's a financial reason behind that. Right. And you can see there's a there's the eggs doing their okay. thing. Okay, well, there so we go. Stop the timer. Saved by the bell, mate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just um, <laughs> um, <laughs> let's chuck it under some so cold water. Straight into run. cold water. Straight into cold water. And Egg we'll just, boiling fans. Yeah, that'll run away in the background. And we let that do it for a while. Um, yeah, so you know that, that it's usually um, a fault that's a small technical fault that doesn't deserve to trash the place. Yes. There are other places you go into and the food's bloody brilliant, but it deserves a kicking because of the soulless ghastliness of its setup. Right. And you know, those are the ones you really, you, you, know, you keep those in the bank in case you really need to do an absolute hummer one week. Right. Um, you know, those, those, are, those are good. And just generally the kind of, you know, as I've, as I've become, you know, as, as I've got older and I've eaten in more places and talked to more people that kind of mm. do it for a living, I like to think I've become a, like a little bit more mm. sort of forgiving and, uh, and understand why, you know, everyone can have an off day and, you know, you can be one staff member short yeah. that can throw everything out of whack or your suppliers, show, you know, just kind of didn't show and it's thrown everybody at kind of... But you can still... The places that make me really angry when I'm in them mm. are where there's just a colossal amount of hubris yes. from the get-go, yes. or the places have just very clearly been designed as a clip joint yes. from, the, from the very it's beginning. The, the, it's, the, it's those two things. It's bad faith and cynicism. I, my entire life I'd wanted to go to Pont de la Tour. First time I read about it, the duck crushing, I thought, Jesus, that's just... So for those who don't know, Pont de la Tour is an extremely old, established, sort of fine dining... French restaurant, yeah. and forgive me when I get this wrong, because I will, because you've been there and I haven't, but one of their showpieces mm -hmm. or one of their stage things is that an entire duck will be brought to your table with a, a specialist piece of equipment, which is a duck press, yeah. and the whole dish revolves around having parts of the duck sliced beforehand, yeah. and then the remaining carcass, which is still quite bloody. Yeah, raw, pretty much. Pressed through essentially like a giant yeah. sort of garlic press. Mm -hmm. yeah. the, the resulting liquid that comes through that press yeah. is then mixed with cream. And reduced. And reduced. reduced and that's served yeah. over the duck. Over the top of the, the nearly raw duck breast. Yeah, it's beautiful. Wow. And you could, there are a few places that do it now. But when I did that piece, I don't think anybody in London was doing it. And I, but I wanted to do it. Someone's presumably now like charging uh, people eight grand uh, to make artisanal bronzed duck presses somewhere in East Topaz. London Railway Art. Otto Tapas, who runs a place called Otto's, in, or Shea Otto, in uh, Gray's Inn Road. And he is actually a, he's a Swiss extraction, like all the best front of house guys were. He's a natural born maitre d', and he runs a restaurant there where he does most of the table side stuff the way it used to be done. And okay. it's, uh, you've got to go. The flambéing and the He does flambéing and, and the and, uh, uh, steak haché and all that sort of stuff. He just does it, and it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But I went over there, and I, I, the Guardian paid for me to go, went by train, which was lovely. I was supposed to, and we worked out, they booked the train, they got the, the, the free flight over and everything else, they worked out the restaurant was closed on that night. And they phoned the restaurant and they opened the restaurant just for me. Ah. And I was supposed to be eating with the absolutely beautiful Trista Sane, who's uh, uh, an English, well, Irish uh, uh, food writer who lives in Paris. Okay. Uh, and um, she's sort of there, uh, Nigella Lawson, really. Okay. Um, and I was supposed to be having dinner uh, à deux with her. Um, and she phoned in and said she had a stomach bug and couldn't do it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so it was just me and the, and the, and the, the director camera woman, who was a Canadian ex-ballet dancer. I mean, she was gloriously lovely as well and charming. 
And, well, that's um, a weird experience. Really You're in Pont de la Tour, all Pont by Tour, yourself. An entire duck is being yeah. pressed for your... And I'm being filmed by this glorious woman. I've, I've missed the opportunity to have dinner with the other glorious woman. And, and all alone in this restaurant, having this done for me by this little squad of men. And then just beautifully, they sat me at this table by the window. And I'd forgotten that it's got the perfect view of the... Uh... Eiffel Tower? No, 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 no. The uh, cathedral in the middle of the river. Oh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. It's the perfect view of Notre Dame. And as I'm sitting there and I'm about to tuck into this duck, Notre Dame lights up outside and I'm literally like weeping. Right. It was just, just glorious. Because the ducks are very special, they arrive, the story is that they arrive from this place, uh, Chalon in, in, in France, uh, where they're killed not by wringing their necks and bleeding them like you would with a normal duck. Of course. But they're smothered in, uh, uh, hold, hold their heads underwater basically. Okay. Uh, and so they've got, they're not highly stressed, but they're full of blood, which is how you get the juicy sauce. Right. Um, but every Chalon duck used to have a little silver tag attached to its ankle with a number on it. Right. And so they, for, the, yeah, for the avoidance of fraud and... Absolutely. Yeah. And you used to get your tag at the part end of the, of the meal. meal. That's part right. of the meal. Uh, and I thought, I'm going to get my tag. I'm going to get my tag. This is funny. I'm going to make it as a, as a, as a food writer. And, You'll uh, be able to surreptitiously display it when with other food writers to kind of exactly. go, well, when you get your stars, lad, <laughs> come back and we'll talk. But I, um, at the end of it, they gave you a postcard with a number written on it. Because they don't, they don't do the tag anymore. So I did have the number uh, embossed on some dog tags along with the date I ate it. Yeah. And for a long time, I actually swore it around my neck. I only do it on special occasions now. But, you know, um, but that, that, I think that that was just to actually get to that point of actually having a serious, long-held food ambition. I'd had that ambition longer than I'd cared about food. I wanted to go to Paris to have this special meal. More than I, I never didn't understand how you'd make a sauce with it. It didn't matter. Yes. But that was the thing. And I actually got there and everything was just so weird. You know, somebody having a stomach <laughs> bug. You know, the, 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 the thing lighting up, it being more gloriously romantic than you could possibly ever be. It's and like, there's yeah. nobody to share it with. It's not, it's not it's, you know, and you, you, know, you go back lonely on the train and all by yourself. You and sort of, yeah, d- drunkenly tell people in bars, look, the most French thing in the world happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Nobody understands. <laughs> nobody understands. <laughs> yeah, and it's a big, it becomes a war story. And I, I, yeah, it's a, it was weird. We should return to the sandwich. Oh, yes. Before we get, uh, before we get to... Okay. Before um, we talk ourselves into Seed's Corner. So, Jay has this thing that he says, which is that, that you know, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter what the review is, if it's not brilliantly written, it's, if it's not a brilliant piece of writing, it doesn't make any difference, what you think, that's, that's absolutely fine. Right. right. Matt, that, that I've always sort of stuck with that as a, as, a, as a thing, but I think also the other bit of advice I got very early on was from Matthew Fort, who's, he's a, he's a lovely writer, he's just not, not, not talked about that much anymore, but he said, I think, there was, I think it was 10 things. So I think there are 10 things about a restaurant that people really care about, and they're all more important than the food. Yeah. And he went Well, let me see this. if I can guess what, <laughs> what I think those things are. I mean, based on my own prejudices mm. and preferences, it could be where it is. Mm-hmm. I think location's going to yep, be really location important. location matters, yep. Um, the, the service is such a... Misunderstood yes. way. Yep. That, that, uh, I, w- I would guess the sort of friendliness of the welcome. Yeah. If uh, as, as as opposed to whether or not someone mm-hmm. brings you a napkin at the right time. Do you yep. know what I mean? Like how welcome do you feel? Mm-hmm. Um, what it looks like in there, how comfortable yep. it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, physically, how comfortable mm-hmm. it is. Um. In terms of how it sounds. Yep. What else? 
The bathrooms, I bet people really care about the bathrooms. Um, no, I've run out. There are, there are hundreds, and some of them are really surprising. And a lot of them come from the you know from your world, from the from the branding world. You, I think it was Adam Lurie who told me first about this about um, and we don't do aspirational advertising anymore, so it may not be relevant anymore. But I remember a conversation where he said, "Who, who do you think BMW adverts are aimed at?" And I said, "Well, people with enough you know, disposable yeah. income to buy a BMW." He said, no, 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 absolutely not. No, no. <laughs> now, BMW is not aimed at that bloke. Yeah. It's aimed at that bloke's brother, his colleagues, and the blokes he knows at the golf club. Right. Well, the only reason that he wants that is because it'll make the other guys jealous. Yeah. And the only thing that keeps the other guys jealous. And so it's stuff like that in a restaurant. What if the most important thing when you go in is that your friends are going to know you've been? That's right. not an illogical thing. No, no, that's not, not at all. illogical. That's actually, in, our, in a brand world, that's kind of. Yeah, okay, we can talk about that, that's fine. Yeah. You know, I've got a chart on that. I can, <laughs> I can, I can plot that on Maslow's hierarchy of needs if you want it. And, so and that's why so many of these clip joints get away with making yeah, million, yeah. millions, millions, because people don't care about what they're going to yeah. when they get in there. They want to be mm. photographed on the way in, or they want people to be... Yeah. So my current pet hate, and I hope they listen to this, <laughs> and I hope they go away and hurt themselves with fucking pliers as a result of hearing it, right, is the venture capital company that has taken over the Ivy. Oh, God, yes. Right, so not that I ever went to the original Ivy, and it probably wouldn't have been much of my bag anyway. But as most people listening to this would know, Ivy, much beloved British institution, mm -hmm. uh, very good quality, slightly pejoratively described like nursery food, good yep. shepherd's pie, all that sort of thing. Yep. And mainly famous essentially for its exclusivity. Yeah. Um, and now there are branches of the Ivy all over the uh -huh. place, including one that has just recently opened in Brighton. Right? And here's the fucking giveaway that this is an absolute <laughs> shit show for people who might as well be eating fucking raw porridge is that there's, uh, the, the doorway has been specifically designed for you to stand and do your Instagram yes, photo yes. before you go yeah. into the restaurant. So you can say to people, I have been to the Ivy. Exactly. And yeah. funnily enough, it's not packed with West End agents and Stephen Fry and, uh, <laughs> right, and, the, and, the, and the great and good of London's cultural demimonde. It's packed with people exactly like you yes. who are over-ordering Prosecco and, and taking selfies and not even bothering to it. I don't even know whether they've got a menu. Oh, sorry. No, really it's, I, I, no, no, I'm, I'm, um, I'm jealous of, uh, of uh, Giles Corran for getting to uh, uh, Ave Mario first, which is one of these Parisian-based, hyper-maximalist Italian restaurants in Covent Garden. Okay, is it this kind of super loud, super glitzy, yeah. lots of gold, lots of rose you, pink? You, you've got a queue, the staff uh, right. they're, they're sing to you when you arrive. Oh no, uh, do oh, they? Yeah, it's, it's really, oh, and everybody in there is taking selfies. They're all, they're, they're, you know, if, if you're an influencer. It's an experience. That's where you want to be. It's an experience thing, yeah. And that was, I had that one totally in my list as somebody I can go and kick the absolute shit out of. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, you know, it's, it's only fair. I, 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 might, no, I might have gone and been surprised. That is perfectly possible. Um, Presumably, that does happen from time to time. You go somewhere thinking, right, these people are in for the shooing of a lifetime. <laughs> and you're like, oh, actually, yeah, that, does, nice. that really does happen. It really does happen quite a lot. Um, just to briefly return to our, I mm. think mise en place might be a strong term, but. Yep. So we've got our four uh, presumably perfectly boiled eggs. I hope so. To my mind, well, we've got two Hellmans, mm -hmm. uh, just in case the first one runs out. I'm That's assuming. right. Yeah. But yep. also, and I know you're a fan of this because I just finished reading your book and I love this stuff too. We've got, but I've never heard anyone say it out loud. How do you pronounce it? I've always said QP. QP. K E W P I E. Yeah, but Tim Anderson, who speaks Japanese 
and writes books about it, calls it Q-Pie. Q-Pie. So, so this I is think... this Japanese mayonnaise, which yeah. if you've never tried it, well, why don't you describe it? Because I know you're well, a fan. It's my, my main thing, I would have to say, would be uh, salad cream. Yes. Um, which I just love. We'll get to that in we'll a second. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is, um, so this is, it's got more egg in it, uh, slightly less oil, less sugar, I believe, than Hellman's, and it's a bit more mustard. So it makes it halfway between mayo and a sort of not terribly sharp salad cream. Right. Well, the most important thing is... Has it got, got more vinegar in it as well? Is it slightly, no. Well, think, to my taste, it's always slightly oh, more, more acidic. More than Hellman's, yes. yes. Okay. But a lot less than salad cream. Right, okay. Um, but it's also... It's really distressing that they've stopped doing this. It's got, it used to have loads of MSG in it, right. which is what made it great. Yes. They've now, the, most of the stuff you buy in England now has special low MSG on the label. Um, and I, so I basically buy this from a really good Asian supermarket that stocks the real stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important. Okay. Uh, it means you can use half as much salt if that's your thing. It's not mine. Um, let's see how these eggs have done. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious I'm, as to I'm what, really your, curious. what your perfect boil looks like. <laughs> I shall select from the great array of gorgeous, glorious knives, of course. Of course. Which you can't uh, hear on the podcast, but there you go. Okay, let's see how this is. Uh, it's a bit over for me, okay. just a tad. What would you give that out of ten? I'd give it an eight and a half. Eight and a half. So, yeah. I mean, that's still a pretty soft yolk. You've got none of the nasty greyness going on no, around no, the outside. No, no. None of that nonsense. No, um, and that's that one's better. Uh, that's got a, a yeah, very tiny, tiny raw core dot, of yeah. softness in the core middle. Core of softness. I mean, still, like we're not talking anything you could dip anything no. into. Oh god! But it hasn't completely. But it hasn't completely. And it's and got that, a slightly darker colour to it as well. Yeah, and actually, I mean, in a sense, if I can get one of them doing that, I know I've got them right. Right. So they're set, but I know they can only be just set because one of them isn't quite right. Have you, have you heard the story about Prince Charles and his egg yolks? I have not. So there's a recurring food myth that Prince Charles is so fussy about how he has his boiled eggs in the morning Yeah. that the staff make, and this is where the story varies from person to person, up to six eggs are made right. and served at the same time so he can work his way along and get the one he wants perfect. Right, and he, so he takes the top off of each one and only, yeah. only when doing so does he think, right, yeah, this, is the, this yeah. is the egg for me. That's what he wants, yeah. Utter bollocks. <laughs> not, not because I know him. I'm, I'm an absolute <laughs> Republican. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm not up for an OBE under any set of circumstances. not in my history. But the bloke owns the Duchy of Cornwall. Mm. He's got egg farms. He's got yeah. pork factories. He makes yeah. bacon. He's, he could get the security guards to put the, the police to put the flashing lights on and go to... Goldbourne Road and pick up pastas, the nata, and a, a yeah. double espresso. He can have whatever he, he, he likes. Whatever he wants. He's not an insensitive man. He's an oaf, an oaf in many respects, I'm sure, but he's not going to have two boiled eggs every bloody morning. No, yes. I don't believe it. Yeah, and you're right, because he just wouldn't live that kind of no. monastic life. So exactly the story that. I always heard about him, and I'm, this is almost certainly apocryphal, is that uh, like, uh, one night his valet is ill, and mm. he, comes, he comes downstairs from his accommodation, um, uh, complaining that his toothbrush isn't foaming properly. The foaming toothbrush story, You've yes. You've heard this a thousand times, right? And because he's never realised that someone else puts toothpaste on it for him, I and he just puts it straight into his mouth. I, I don't think it's true. I think I first read it in um, either Evelyn War or P.G. Woodhouse. Oh, is it that old? And, and, yeah, and, it, and it's, but it, even it's then... idiots like me are still repeating No, 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 no. Even, even then it's not like a first-person thing. He's actually writing it... He'd actually heard the story of an aristocrat who... Right, 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 right. And it's just been mistakenly assigned. Yeah. Presumably it's been assigned to every 
That's for a, a long pejorative time. toff yeah. that anyone happens to be talking about. <laughs> pejorative toff. Oh, I'm having that one. That'll turn up in a review That's my somewhere. grinder name. Yeah. <laughs> pejorative toff. So we are... We are putting in... I'm interested in the mayonnaise quantity scene because mm -hmm. there can never be enough as far as I'm concerned. I, mean, I love the stuff. I, well, I think with egg mayonnaise, you actually want to go back on the mayo a little. Right. Tuna mayonnaise, on the other hand, is an entirely different kettle of fish altogether. Okay. If you're making tuna salad, you want cheap tuna, preferably in chunks and oil, and you beat them up with a K-beater in the, in the mixer, and it'll absorb like gallons of mayonnaise. So it's a smooth, it's, almost yeah. sandwich paste-like consistency. Absolutely, and it's got to be cheap tuna because it's got to have the fishy flavour right, going right, right. a lot of mayo. Yeah. I spent way too long in my life researching this, and I went for better and better and better tuna and hand-making my own mayonnaise and twists of lemon. Mm. And I suddenly remembered I'd once been in a prison in North Carolina where the guy made the, egg, made the tuna mayonnaise for the prisoners. And it smelled like cat food and came out something the size of a dustbin. And then he just poured in bottle after bottle of mayonnaise. Like, That's what I'm going to do. And actually it improved it immensely. So where are we at? So we've got a little bit of Hellman's in there, probably a Hellman's, yep. tablespoon. Tablespoonful. About the same of About the same QP. as the QP. This is Which a, is much, it's a very different colour to Hellman's. Yeah, it's it's yellower. much yellower. Yeah. Is that just because it's got more egg in it? Yeah. And yes, mustard? Absolutely. Okay. This got sent to me by a company in Germany called Mannkuchen. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. This is <laughs> <laughs> Pfeiffer Cannon. Right. It's a pepper cannon. Pepper cannon? Yeah. Feel that. Jesus Christ. Gr grind, grind a little bit onto the tabletop there. Just, just tell me that's not the most utterly fulfilling. Well, this is, this is heavier than a maglite torch yeah, and made out of stronger yeah. materials. And similarly phallic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so presumably after you finish grinding the pepper, you can like, beat a man to death with it in a special ops yeah. fashion and disappear out. And I got a holster <laughs> for it down, down my trouser leg. Yeah, yeah. well, you, you could wear an entire kind of condiments belt, right? And go but into some, like somebody, the some... battery to cuisine. It would literally be like... <laughs> I am fasc fascinated as any... You're putting salt in this A little, well. yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, it the, is, the, is the salt content of the, of the mayo not sufficient? It just, need, just needs a little extra. Always. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, I'm fascinated as any ad man should be by, I, 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 um, I routinely try and fuck up the algorithm by which stuff is served to me on my feed. Yes. Uh, to the extent, that, for example, I, for the last two weeks I've been German. Right. I, was, I was a woman for a long time. Not that I pretended to be these things, but the algorithm yeah. has thought that I was. Just because you're interested in not like breaking the bubble and yeah, not being served yeah. the same stuff all the exactly. time. Exactly. And sometimes you get interesting stuff. So a couple of weeks ago, somebody sent a, a, a posted into my feed a picture of an apron, but it's a special forces apron. So it's got chef in like white writing in black across yeah. it. And then that nylon sort of D-ring hooking system that you put pouches and pockets on. Well, you can, yeah, that, um, that is part like, of the arming up montage in Commando. With, precisely uh, yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah. You've yeah. got, you've got uh, mines hanging off of it and a, it. a serrated knife, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, like, it's like a flak vest or a special ops vest, but it's an apron for barbecue. So this kind of we've got our, we've got proper thick sourdough proper slices, sourdough, British yep. sourdough, obviously, British sourdough, as we've yep. previously established. Salted, salted, butter. salted butter. Salted butter. The unsalted butter thing is just it's one of those. I've got this. I've got this thing that there's there's, there's there's the two great problems in English cooking are the Delian orthodox and the, the Delian orthodoxy and the Davidian orthodoxy. The Delian orthodoxy, which is basically they. I, I um, know. I think I. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. I do. Yeah. It's um, and it's things like the 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 um. The garlic press and 
Uh, you can only really have your salad of fresh leaves and and and, and good. Anybody who says good olive oil, you want to <laughs> stab them in the fucking eye with a fork. No, what? No, no. I'm going to go and shit olive oil. Now. I've got some real rubbish out the back that I weed in. That's yeah. the olive oil I'm going to be using this time around. No, just just uh, just pads. olive oil. Olive oil and oh, the recurring olive oil myth that you could only get it in boots. Yes. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. Well, I've heard that a thousand times. Yeah. You the, also and use it for ear complaints. Yeah. And of course, you'd also, if you've read your um, Samuel Pepys, during the Great Fire of London, he went to the bottom of his garden uh, and buried his Parmesan cheese yeah. and his bottle of oil of Luca, olive oil, from the kitchen because he didn't want them to get burnt in the fire. Not true. So it's utter balls about, about uh, boots. But everybody trots it out as one of those... It's just a good story, uh, though, right? Uh, it, it is, it is. But, and, and, but also, it's our job to keep questioning it. Also, it's rather nice that every time I debunk it, somebody pays me for writing it. <laughs> so, okay. Sort of, We're so, mashed down. We've got a very kind of... Uh, it's, a, it's pretty it's, dry. Well, so. no, it's much more... Um, I would guess the combination of the kewpie and mm. probably like the quality of the egg. That's yeah. taken on a much oranger hue than I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, It's much more yolk coloured than white yeah. coloured, if I can put it like that. That's right. Obviously, podcast is no good for olfactory notes, but that is like a very powerful egg mm -hmm. smell, but like just the right side. Do you know what but I mean? Yeah, but, but, it, but it's also, I love this. I love this bit, because you yeah. do this for bloody hours. I, my minor at art college was art history. And I think one of the things that art college teaches you, you know they say when you go to university, you go because you learn how to learn. And one of the things that we don't know how to do, and art students do, is criticize. So we used to have group crits. Of each other's work. Yeah. yeah, two or three times a week. We'd all sit around, like 12, 15 of us in a room, put up the work we'd done that week. And you, I mean, initially you say rude things about other people's work, or you say nice things because you're frightened about it. And then after a while you realize that you go in and you've got to find something to say. Yeah. You've got to try and dig out what they were trying to say. Then you've got to judge back about how well they did it. Yeah. Then can you say anything helpful? Yeah. And you develop the language very, very quickly. So you come out of art college, really good at the practice of criticizing, I think. I think, it's, and, and so you get something like that and you go, okay, well, okay, it's egg mayonnaise. We, you, we got, you've got three lines. You can't say anything else about egg mayonnaise. Actually, you're absolutely right, really interesting. I could talk about where the edge of egginess and is and isn't. So I know for some, in my head, like I really love this because it's, it's something that I love and I know that it's gonna be delicious, but I know, a, I can sense, I can see in my head the faces of the slightly more egg-phobic people of my acquaintance oh, who would be like leaving the office now. Okay. Right? And, then there'd be a, and then there'd be a terse, passive-aggressive note on the office microwave yeah. kind of going, if you're going to have that more than once a week, it's like, fucking let us yeah. know. Or if it, make it just a Tuesday. Yeah, but, but, but you know, if, food, if people are offended by food smells, that's, I, I, I tend to think that's a bit their problem, but I can see what my, But it, we're, we're going to really mess with them now because it doesn't sort of stop with the egg. Right. I go to my... Um, my selection of uh, tinned fish cabinet. Oh, and, um, okay. So now we're gonna now we're gonna take it up a notch, as people like oh, to say. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so so let, let, just let me have a look at this for a second. Yeah. So extracted from what essentially looked like a kind of um, armory of tinned fish products mm -hmm. yeah. in Tim's kitchen. I am holding a box of Eureka anchovies. Are these Portuguese? Portuguese, yeah. Look at that, right, mm -hmm. first in, in what looks like essentially a medicine box. Yep. Very plain white box <laughs> with, 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 black, uh, with black printing on it. 
Um, may I? You may, yeah. Okay, so I'm going <laughs> to... Unboxing is really fucking great on a podcast. <laughs> People love that sort of stuff. So I'm going to unwrap these tins. Now, these don't look like anchovies that you've selected at random. What's, what, so you, you, what's special about these? You don't... There's a certain kind of anchovy that has its place, which I would refer to as a sort of a cooking anchovy. They're yeah. the ones that come in the, come in the little jars or the little tins that you buy in the supermarket usually for not very much money. Yeah. You put them on top of pizzas. Your John West's, yeah, for example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're salty and fishy and they're good. Or if you're making a sauce or something that requires an extra punch in it, you can kind of melt them into the, the, the sauce. Yeah, I've got the Locatelli's, Locatelli's tinned fish pasta yeah, with melted anchovies and yeah. tinned tuna. Is exactly a staple that. in our yeah. household. I love that. It's perfect, and, and it's one of the great sort of umami secrets of, of cooking. Yeah. If you know, if you if you can't pull that out, you put some capers in. If you haven't got the capers, you can sprinkle in some MSG. These are all the yeah, hints yeah. and celery salts. Another one that will really sort of just pep things up. They're all the secret secret weapons. This there's another. The story to this is also in St John. They used to very regularly put an egg salad sandwich on for lunch. Okay. But you, if you knew the, the routine, and I, I hate the off-menu pretension of this, but if you knew the routine, you went up to the, the barman and you tipped the barman generously and he got out a rack of anchovies from under the bar yeah. and draped a couple of anchovies over your egg sandwich. Your preserved anchovy your we're preserved, talking about. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is pure, pure Fergus Henderson. Um, so there's a company called, the, and I'm not plugging, God forbid, they don't send me anything for free or anything. There's a company called the, uh, the Tinned Fish Market. Right. I believe they're in Manchester. Okay. It's a bloke who's possibly makes even our food geekery look amateurish. Right. Who's discovered that all the way along the Galician coast, there are families who catch these things, bring them home, and can them in these kind of tiny sort of four-man factories. And they make beautiful labels for them, and they're gorgeous objects. Right. But he brings... So them... this is your artisanal... This is craft yeah, anchovies. Yeah, but, but also it's kind of... It's difficult to hate fish sometimes when you realise that even the most factory-caught fish is taken out of the sea and it's filleted and it's frozen before it's not stiff anymore. Yeah. When you go to a fishmonger and it's lying around on the couch, you, you can't do that. Yeah. So sometimes the supply chain actually you do... Again, it's that thing about, you know what everybody thinks about that? I don't necessarily disagree with them, but I think they ought to understand that actually, you know, a fish finger has got some really bloody fresh fish in it if yeah. you buy a decent one. Yeah. So don't buy shit fish fingers anymore because we know also there's rubbish fish in there. Yeah. But there could be some really, and these, but these have literally they've been out in the world for yeah. for forty seconds. So yeah, they came out of the sea, they went around. in the oil, they yeah. went in the can. And yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, there's like the respect for the tinned fish. Yeah. Is from that part of the world mm -hmm. is huge. I mean, I've I've, I've certainly been in. Uh, places in San Sebastian where there are whole stores yes. entirely dedicated yeah. to essentially different brands of smelts, yes. tuna, uh -huh. anchovies, yeah. perhaps you know, a, a, you know the odd, uh, the, the odd bit of kind of uh, tinned seafood, but mm. it's literally a shop full of tins. Yeah, um, and, and it's, it is a fantastic way of preserving stuff. It used to be a lot more glamorous here as well. Um, certainly, Fortnum's used to do a lot of tinned stuff to send away to the Raj. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, their, their tinned pheasant was very famous. Um, <laughs> so. I don't want you to think that I'm using tweezers. No. It's very important you understand that these are not tweezers. Well, so, again, so I read in the book that you hate chefs that use tweezers <laughs> and you think it's the height of pretension. But, I mean, to the untrained eye, that's a big pair of tweezers. I'm, so I'm, I'm prepared to be corrected. So what are these, if they're not tweezers? <laughs> they are, they are tweezers. It's like <laughs> tweezers. No, but I did discover something wonderful. So the reason I'm using them is that they're absolutely the best way for getting anchovies out. I don't use them for much else. 
Okay. I can also eat them. As can right. you. All right. I'm going to do a. Look, there's, there's clearly yeah. some sort of initiation test going on. No, no, like, I'm going to do a whole, lovely anchovies. whole anchovy from the can. And, and because obviously I'm in my family, probably the same as yours, I'm not allowed to keep them for long. No. Got to finish the tin. So I like storing the leftover ones in a jar until the olive oil goes solid. Oh, that's all good. Or I beat, beat it into butter and have fresh anchovy butter on toast for breakfast. That's an amazing thing. Good, isn't it? Oh, mate. Oh, Lovely. that is a proper... Mm -hmm. And what distinguishes that from your John West, mm -hmm. if I may be so mm -hmm. pretentious, with my fucking podcast, I will, um, is it that it tastes... The freshness of the fish is still yes. in there. That's not pure salt mm -hmm. and... No. Oil. You can taste something of what that would have tasted like before it had been preserved. But what I also like about these, and this is getting deeply, deeply nerdy, but I think there's a just a touch of lactic fermentation in there. And I'm looking at the crew who I know happen to be <laughs> utter brew heads. There's something going on, isn't there? There's a, there's a little bit of... Mm. A funk is the wrong term, but you know what I mean in there. Yeah, something... well, fermentation always to me, like my lazy, my mm. lazy good olive oil thing mm. about is that there's an ever such a, like a, a, a touch of the farmyard, right? Mm. That slightly yeah. high note. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, so where were we? What were we talking about? Well, and let's just, just put, I'd like to pause for just a second. So this is, despite your modesty, to me, looking like, frankly, one of the best <laughs> egg mayonnaise sandwiches I've ever seen. So we've got probably centimetre and a half thick slices of like essentially like really good white yep. bread, you yep. know, yep. unless you told me it it's, was sourdough, I wouldn't know. It's, right? it's not an over sour sourdough, yeah. so it's a quite a mild sourdough. And I would say proportionally, we've got exactly the same thickness of mm -hmm. egg mayonnaise mm -hmm. filling, which is nicely chunky, distinct mm -hmm. bits of white, very orange from the, mm -hmm. from the yolks and from the mayo, and three uh, just l like, like stripes on an Adidas Samba. We have, th <laughs> we have three... <laughs> High quality uh, anchovy fillets running through the middle, and I mean, you know, I'm biased here because I'm a, I like I I could talk for hours just about sandwiches alone, but that that looks to me like an absolute thing of beauty. I'm I, I would never quote my own stuff, but I and yeah, and you know that you know that that lovely um that lovely Orwell thing about if there's a really good sentence and you think it's really good, yeah. strike it out. Yeah, I just written a piece that talks about anchovies and they were even better than these. Wow. And they were lying in a pool of their own oil. And I said they looked like three 1950s socialites in a slim Aaron's photograph. <laughs> because, they were, because they were so taut and brown and oiled. There you go. And I just thought, that, that's so going in Sood's Corner. Yeah. <laughs> Put money on that. Yeah. But, but, yeah, but you want it to, I can tell. <laughs> I so do. I so do. So. That's <laughs> just, yeah, even I'm proud of that one. So I know that you've got a real kind of hair up your ass about this kind of over-broification mm. of food, right? Yeah, that, that, that we're taking this weird turn, particularly I would say probably in the last 10 years, mm. of um, this kind of hyper-masculine attitude to cookery. So it's like, there's gotta be flame, and there's gotta be smoke, yeah. and there's gotta be tattoos, mm -hmm. and you have to chop everything with a cleaver that could take a cow's head off. And, and, and everything's got to be extreme and massive and covered in bacon and cheese and all that sort of yeah. bullshit. So, unload, my friend. Like, where, 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 like, what bothers you about all of that so much? Oh, God, I've, I've made a fortune out of it. Um, <laughs> I mean, you have got a tattoo. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and, I've, and I've done sort of bro food, and, and that's, that's, I've got no problem with those things. But when you, when you see people doing um, 
the originals of those foods. I mean, I've, I've seen barbecue being made in, in the deep south by, you know, usually black pit masters. And there's none of that sort of muscular crap about it at all. Yeah. It's just what people eat. There's no swagger. No, there's yeah. no swagger. And I think it, it's just another pose. It's another position. I think what worries me more is not the... It's what brewification brings, not in the sense of muscularity, but the other thing men do, which is extreme nerdery. Now, I've said that, and I know that I'm a nerd, and I know that you're a nerd. But it's the thing whereby you start with coffee, which is a lovely thing. Yeah. And everybody enjoys it, and it's terrific. And then you move it into... <laughs> I know what you're You know say. what I'm going I, with I this? It's, it's like, you know, I, yeah, you... I was into that band before you were. Yeah. And, and you move it from there to, you have first... We're now on fifth wave coffee, by the way. Fuck knows what the first... I think I got to about three and a half and then gave up. I, when I started, first started writing about food, I was so anti the snobbery of wine. Right. I really can't stand that whole, you know, and I, I've got members of my family who are in the wine business. Yes. I, I, I get to drink the most astonishing wines. Mm. I mean, it's rare. Uh, my my father-in-law lives on the other side of Cambridge. He's got a cellar you wouldn't believe. You know, he, he regularly brings over a 300-pound bottle of wine for right. Sunday dinner because he wants to drink it before he dies, and he's yes. got a huge salad. And I think that's great, I can yeah. go with that. But I don't want to know the whole thing about it. Oh, of course, this came from the Northern Slope. And I hated that. And then now, I started getting really interested in the natural wine world, because people were saying, okay, this is about young people, mm. young makers, changing the whole, changing it up. They're gonna, it's gonna be more, more and I'm, I've heard this before, this is what they said about coffee. Mm. This is how they There's people talking some fucking powerful yeah. cobblers about yeah. natural wine out there. But what, I don't mind that, because I've got a couple of good friends who are experts in it, and they'll take me out and they'll get me some good natural wines, and natural wines are great in the right place. Mm. What I hate is when you go in and they don't tell you it's gonna be natural wine, and you get, a sneery-ass sommelier. I thought we killed the last, we drowned the last sneery-ass sommelier in about <laughs> 2005. I remember, because I put my foot on his head. Yeah. I mean, it was literally, we wanted those fuckers dead, out of it. They were the reasons we didn't get him. We weren't like that. We like British food, we like good stuff, we like things like egg mayonnaise sandwiches. We could be, we could rave about something, about a, a, a Korean food, we could rave, rave about ramen. We could do all that sort of stuff. We didn't want any of that bollocks, and now, to have some fucking 18-year-old go, ah, you weren't expecting the Lambrusco to be fizzy, were you? Or <laughs> it tastes like it had passed through a live cat. No, I fucking wasn't. And by the way, you know, Riesling isn't supposed to fizz for a minute and then stop yeah. because you can't sell it. Yeah. And by the way, the four sommeliers I fucking employ can't buy the stuff because you can't buy 12 consistent bottles unless you go to one of the big older, older factors or farmers that are doing organic stuff. That are actually consistent through the case. When I was in last time I was in Paris, I went to a really nice kind of natural wine bar, and you know, and uh, but they tried to kind of upsell me a, a, a bottle mm. uh, with the story that um, you know this is made in an amphora, which is yep, buried yep, underground, yep, um, and uh, the wine distributor mm. has to actually literally sort of trudge on foot to the vineyard, sling this thing over his shoulder mm. and walk each amphora individually back to the van yeah. because there's no road into the vineyard. And it's just like, you know, the idea that any, of that, any of that conversation is going to have any bearing on the way the fucking thing tastes. As well, if you're going to have a sip. Apart from Apart from the, you know, your sip and go, oh, well, that's been hand trudged. You know what but, I mean? Like, yeah. You can really tell. But I'll, I'll, I'll buy that stuff in almost any food stuff. What I won't buy is people applying the snobbery with it. That's, that's wrong. 
You know, you, if you if you if you hand make the cheese, if it was made by moonlight, if you yeah. if you if you buried a a, a, a mm. cow horn full of shit at the end of yeah. your cheese yard, and 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 that cheese is better because of it, and it tastes good, yeah. I'll love it. Yeah. And if you present it with, I'm so enthusiastic about this thing, it's lovely. Can I explain why? Mm. Let's sit down and we'll have a glass of this stuff, and it's great. But not, you don't get this, do you? You all get. Yes. You're one of them. Like, and, and, like dogs sniffing each other's asses we, in Jermaine Greer's phrase, right? Yes. When people talk about each other's record yes. collections. Yes. And that's what people like when they talk about coffee yes. or they talk about natural wine or yes. they talk about the fact that their IPA tastes mm -hmm. a little bit more like earwax than the last yes. guy's. Yeah. Yes, exactly that. And for that reason, it is about masculinity. Yes. But it's not about, it's not necessarily, I mean, the harmless brewery of standing by a grill and making a big steak go brown around the edges, you know. That's okay. It's like, it's fine, you know, whatever. Mm. You know, we all know where we are on that. Nobody's yeah. being over-intelligent, overthinking yeah. it. But if you're, the one that's, if, if you're the one that says, well, actually, you know, if you'd had nine gas jets on that grill. <laughs> Those people were boring before. They're still boring now. Does they don't, they shouldn't trouble us. Right, so, so okay. having talked about wine pretension, mm. we now get to the pretentious wine part of the podcast. Oh, we have one of those. Yeah, good. we do have. In a vague attempt to impose some sort of format on the thing. So we brought you a wine mm. thinking that we were going to have deviled kidneys. So okay. we chose this with the, de with the deviled kidneys in mind. And this is uh, called, get, look, we've gone straight into pretension. This is called Ministry of Clouds. <laughs> what? Again, a great grinder name. Lovely, um, lovely But this crap. is a 2019 Shiraz. Uh, from Australia. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to read what it says on the label because it is fantastically pretentious. Um, <laughs> Would but... you take yourself outside for a kicking if you read it? Yeah, yeah it works. <laughs> exactly. But this is, it does have a little, I think this is like purely natural, biodynamic, no, mm. no in, like low intervention, no sulfates. Mm. And I'm very interested at two o'clock in the afternoon to see it? what the red wine does with the egg mayonnaise. Because we've got the anchovy in, so yeah. hopefully yeah. there's a bit like this has got yeah. a bit of heft. What do we think? I think it's lovely. I, I really like that. I really like that. I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a kid with red wine. I mm -hmm. really like it on the sweeter, fruitier end. I can't get down in the in the in the in the library and with the dust mm -hmm. and the oak and the yep. tannins and stuff. I don't. Oh, I just it doesn't appeal to I me. They have their place, but. But you see, Maybe I'm just not drinking at an expensive enough level. <laughs> but you see, but, but, I mean, you, you've presented that in a you presented that in a friendly and enthusiastic way. Yeah, you know, I, 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 nobody can object to that. That's absolutely gorgeous. That's a lovely thing. It's, and it is a it's a delicious wine that you've chosen carefully. Mm. Actually, if any sommelier said to me, "Actually, you look like a pretty old git," you probably will like this one. It's no intervention, <laughs> but it tastes like you know. What you, your bourgeois preconception of what wine is, and it does. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So let's see how it goes with this Ooh, sandwich. Oh, right now, I'm going to sit. There's not going to be a polite way to. No, eat this, this is definitely. This is eat it over the sink. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. So the anchovy mm -hmm. does mm -hmm. that magic anchovy thing. Mm -hmm. In an already salty food, yeah. Well, all but the tiniest note of the fish has disappeared, mm -hmm. and that is seasoning. Mm -hmm. That is just turbocharged. Mm -hmm. The mayo, exactly turbocharged mm -hmm. the egg, mm -hmm. the salt in the bread. Yep. It's just and a tiny bit of salt in the egg mayonnaise as well as the stuff in the fish. Yeah. It doesn't quite work if you leave that salt out. I know that sounds pretentious, but it's true. But again, mm -hmm. on paper, to me, it was mm -hmm. so a the salt in the mayo, b then the salt mm -hmm. in the egg mayo. Mm -hmm. Then there's the salt from the anchovy. Mm. On paper, in my head, it would be too salty, but it's not. Mm. 
Um, and it tastes of itself. It doesn't taste of salt. But um, when, you're, when you're making egg mayonnaise, and mm -hmm. one of the nice things about writing books is you do spend, you, know, you get to spend two <laughs> days making egg mayonnaise. And you start with your basically first principles. You start with your egg, you start with your Hellman's. Yeah. And you are chucking a load of shit in there before you start to get any flavour at all. Right. You've got to start with a lot of black pepper. You right. really need some salt to make it work. And then you can fart about with anchovies and balancing those out afterwards. And presumably your supermarket egg mayo suffers from a great many things, mm. right? Which is presumably, A, it's industrial mayo, mm -hmm. which is made in a very different way. Mm -hmm. B, the egg has probably been prepared industrially. Yes. Not that's necessarily a pejorative thing, but um, it's been, you, you're, you are essentially the egg's being boiled and minced in bulk and has to be treated in a certain way so that it doesn't denature as part of that manufacturing process. It's, it's the doesn't only, go off, no. doesn't, doesn't start to smell. It won't have additives, but it's the only place in the UK you'll get a non-free-range egg. And one of the great triumphs of our generation is it's very difficult to find a supermarket where you can buy a non-free-range egg now. How free-range free-range is, is arguable. Mm. But um, mm, along, with, along with my, my rant about you know, the, the, the Sainsbury's fish counter, is now getting fresher fish in the local supermarket because supply chain works that way. Yeah. We have really done something brilliant with our obsession with free-ranging eggs. Mm. You can now get decent quality eggs on a very, very good supply chain. I wonder how much is, I wonder how much unwittingly Edwina Curry's decimation of the egg industry <laughs> gave them all the opportunity to mm. kind of, yeah. we've got to think this differently. Mm. People aren't going to buy them automatically anymore. We've got to work on this now. Mm -hmm. And I do hope... There was no such thing as a branded egg mm. when I was growing up. There were no egg companies. No. There wasn't the Happy Egg and the Clarence Court. There was actually the British, the British Egg Company, or the British Egg um, Association or whatever they were. Go to work on an egg. Yeah. The, the British Egg Marketing Board. Yes, and they, but they, that was a post-war uh, effective monopoly. But then split up to, 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 for the branded companies. So when, when eggs were privatised, mm. didn't <laughs> Privatised the egg. Nice. Yeah, a Tory egg. Mm. Oh, God. That is good. That is, isn't it that is genuinely good. Mm. Oh, man. So, you know, you've invited us to your home. You've made us this delicious egg mayonnaise sandwich. Uh, you've <laughs> drunk. That sounds weird. It does sound weird. <laughs> but, I know, because I'm really pleased because you're the first person for, of any of the guests we have. And we're coming up for like 15 or 20 guests at this point yeah. uh, who has, uh, has offered up with such passion, uh, such an essentially humble piece of food and hasn't tried to sort of, you know, and, and, and hasn't sort of chosen something from their repertoire, right? And all of them have been delicious and we're very grateful to have them. But you're, you're, you're a sandwich first for the podcast <laughs> and that gladdens my very heart. So, so th thanks for having us. Thanks Thank for feeding us. Thanks for breaking bread and, 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 and drinking wine with us. And, and, and thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you. That's for ping. Cheers. <laughs> And we're out. And we're out. Thank I, you I, very much. I've got the tuned glasses for this. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> I can only assume that you're still listening now because you love food, you love people who love food, and because you want to hear what they have to say. And so all I can say about that episode is, I mean, if you didn't like that, then what do you like? Tim's latest book, Loaf Story, A Love Letter to Bread, is out now in all good bookshops, and I can personally recommend his book Knife, which is a deep dive into the storied history and culture of the kitchen knife. And there's several other books of Tim's in print right now. You can read his weekly restaurant reviews in the Financial Times, and do keep an ear out for his frequent radio documentaries as well. Thanks again to Tim and his wife for having us over. Thanks to Thomas for production help. Thanks to Steve for the photos. 
Thanks to Verity at Pallet Bottle Shop for the wine. And thanks, as always, to you for listening. Please like and subscribe in your podcast app. Post to the Root and Bone social channels if you feel so inspired. And we'll see you next episode for a really feel-good Christmas special. Take care.